This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. And we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms where you can find us, I strongly encourage you to do that. Once you subscribe, you will be getting episodes of this show on your device as soon as it's available. In this episode, we have Luisa Zuleta, growth lead at Sagaminian Tokapoka. Luisa, welcome to the Business of Us podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is great to have you on. Thank you for coming. So um, I usually begin every episode with setting up the stage and I'm going to do it right now again. All right. Um, as so many app developers and publishers would agree, growing an audience for an app is a challenge. Nothing is static. You find a new marketing channel that works for you. And for a while, you feel like you can finally breathe again freely. But then it becomes crowded with your competitors and the app industry-wide change happens like Apple's introduction of ATT framework and back to the drawing board. But today, Louisa will tell us a story of what it takes to scale a subscription app for kids. And if you feel like it should be even more challenging, you're right, it is. But first, uh, Louisa, before talking about the challenges of your app scaling, tell us about yourself and your background in tech. I guess strictly in tech, um, I started working nine years ago. Um, in a past life, I used to do tech sales, actually selling um, cloud migration architecture and consulting services. But specifically in apps, I started around six years ago here in Canada, a smaller studio called Big Blue Bubble. They do have quite a famous game called um, My Singing Monsters. So that was my introduction to UA and ever since um, after in Gameloft, I got a chance to work with um, RPG games um, as well as Big Blue Bubble, puzzle games and some simulation. Um, and then I landed on the kids and education category, um, same for UA, but a completely different landscape and monetization avenue I was used to, you know, IAPs and now working primarily with subscription services, which is quite different. So you started your journey in UA with monsters. This is terrific. Yes. <laughs> okay. Tell me about the, the apps you've been working with right now. Um, my daughter is 18, so I'm no longer your target audience for a long shot. So I know nothing about your apps. So tell me about that, please. So Sega Mini is part of Spin Master Digital Games. So Spin Master is a toy and entertainment company. They now have um, a part that's dedicated to just digital games. So they bought Sega Mini, Toka Boca, and other studios in the US. Um, mainly Sego was founded 11 years ago. Is a subscription-based play-to-learn um, apps for kids from th three to five years old. And so far, we have a little bit more than uh, 100 million downloads globally. And Sego Mini's um, kind of philosophy is to think of 
laughter and fun makes helps kids learn. Um, so the three products uh, of Sego is Sego Mini World, um, which is a focused on gaming and just um, giving kids a playground to explore. So the best way to put it is different worlds where kids have a digital playground to um, pursue whatever they want to do. There's no winning, no losing, um, no uh, nothing addictive about the games. Sago Mini School is um, more focused on education. So early literacy, math, um, sciences, um, and that was launched in 2020. And then Sago Mini First Words is a speech app. Um, it helps kids with special needs um, as well develop their um, speech. So that's those are the three main products that Sago Mini has. Last year, we launched um, a customer phrasing brand, which is called uh, Picnic. So Picnic is aiming to offer one subscription for parents where they can access all of the apps instead of buying specific subscription for each app. So that's everything we're doing right now at Sago Mini. It's quite a lot. Yeah, it is quite a lot. And uh, you're saying that uh, the games are based on the principle of introducing uh, something for kids that is fun uh, and engaging. And uh, yeah, I would say it works for every age till the very late. Like we always love the stuff to be fun, but I understand that it's extremely important to get the kid engaged in that age, especially to uh, actually, you know, progress with what the app uh, is intended for. So it should be engaging, it should be fun. Now, in this conversation, we will be talking about the Apple SCAD network impact on your app's growth. But first, let's point out that your app's marketing was already limited before SCAD hit. Uh, what were those limitations? Yes. So when you're advertising and producing kids apps, you are you have to face two sides of regulations, COPA for the US and GDPR for Europe. Um, those regulations affect not only marketing, but also the app development, publishing, what kind of data you can collect inside the apps and also monetization strategies. You won't see a lot of kids apps um, that run ads. Sego Mini doesn't, um, but there is a bunch more of regulations if you want to show ads to kids. So um, for us, what that meant in marketing when I came on to Sego was um, we didn't really have the capability of uh, sending in-app postbacks um, after install to any partner. Um, that affects you in your ability to run different types of campaigns. Um, we all know in Google ads or Facebook, you can run campaigns that are optimized towards uh, purchases. That was never the case for Sego. We can't share anything a kid is doing inside the app. Um, and so that made it so our campaigns were really simple. We could only run um, app install campaigns and we didn't have that visibility as to what are the UA users that we're bringing doing specifically inside the app. For us, it was always the exercise of we're running app install campaigns and then we look at the entire user base that we have and we see how they're monetizing. And um, it was the IDFA what let us do that. So we couldn't use it for targeting, uh, lookalikes, anything of that that everyone used to love to use. We didn't have that, but we did have the idea of to at least know 
how our installs were monetizing. So yeah, it was it was very different. Um, I remember when I joined, just realizing how good the product was, um, just in the sense of not being able to run a campaign where you're telling the algorithm, find me the user that's more likely to buy. Um, and still the campaigns were quite profitable in the US, which led me to believe that we had a really good product in our hands when you can just um, run app install campaigns and, and it works. Yeah, the product itself shines through and allows you more freedom of uh, um, in your marketing because you're not um, like, I think Apple's principle always been the, the uh, product itself should be great and the marketing should be on par. But uh, even when you are limited with your marketing options, the product can lead you forward. And uh, you mentioned this uh, um, legal um, limitations in Europe. It's not limitations, but the um, legal procedure you have to comply with. Uh, this recent Digital Markets Act, does it have any effect on you guys? Um, it does, but I think the, um, the thing is we designed the apps in a way where we're complying to the highest degree. So say we're looking at COPA and, and GDPR sometimes is more aggressive when it comes to kids is someone yeah. who's still 18. So we always tend to go for what the harshest, I guess, um, regulation mm -hmm. is to make the rest of the decisions in terms of app development and, and marketing. So we're usually ready for things. So when something new comes, um, such as SCAD, and we'll talk about it, um, I guess, in a little bit, but when new regulations come, we're sort of shielded already because we've developed things that are already to the highest level of, of compliance. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's our haha -ha moment where we see everyone scrambling around with things that we already had to figure out a while ago. That's smart. Guys who are listening to us, take notes. Uh, you got to be ready for what's coming by sticking with the highest standard. And this is what will make your uh, future uh, not that heavy and uh, less anxiety, more confident in what you're doing uh, when you're sticking to the like not the worst case scenario, but what are the most demanding environment will be uh, in the future. So if you're ready for that, that will not come to, as a surprise to you. Now, describe us the moment when SCAD become, became reality. How did it shift your app's marketing strategy? What solutions did you guys identify to work your way through that disaster? Yeah, so like I said, SCAD happened to us before it happened to everyone else. So I believe SCAD was released in April, 2021. Um, for us, we lost the IDFA in October, 2020, kids apps. So we, I remember it was a point in time where people were starting to talk about what's gonna happen with this. Like, how do we prepare for this? For us, it was just one build of our app that was rejected by Apple. And they said, you're mentioning the IDFA, you need to remove it. So essentially we had to figure out how to make things work until SCAD was released. And that's when we started working with probabilistic attribution. 
Um, AppsFire actually really helped us a lot. They created a costume SDK for us um, so that we can remove any mention and collection of IDFA and still attribute um, for those months. Um, that was something that was custom made for us in order for us to be running. So we were out for about two weeks of not running any UA and then we were back on, um, which is like interesting because right now we can't use probabilistic since SCAD has been available because that's not compliant for kids. Um, and two years later, I see other app, um, you know, colleagues scrambling a little bit about probabilistic and when it's it is it going to be gone um we already went through that um so again that's kind of like the I guess the sensation and the topic when you're working for kids apps you're just 10 steps ahead and you're forced to figure it out um scan helped us in the sense that we never had access to that post install data thing so SCAD was making it easier for us to have a post-install event in the first 24 to 72 hours, which was something that we didn't have. But the problem with um, SCAD for kids apps is that kids apps can't have an ATT prompt. So again, it was another thing where you know kids cannot consent to be tracked or not. They don't. They don't understand Perfect. what they're right. consenting to. So when I would join webinars or try and talk to other people in the industry, everyone was worrying, worried about the adoption rate. And that wasn't even a thing for me, right? So we quickly learned that the way to work through this was just trying to find our own solution. And that's what we do. I'd say, well, I know that that's what most of our competitors in apps do. You just try to figure out something that works for you and not look too much outside because what everyone else is doing is not applicable to us at all. Yeah, so it's uh, it's one thing to be aware of what other people are doing, uh, your competitors, your peers in the industry, and their other uh, just uh, copying, pasting what their actions into your portfolio of uh, marketing actions, which is not wise. It's always you have to have a filter of what of those things apply to your specific marketing campaign and what would make sense and be efficient for you. So um, I've got this question for you. If like that, that situation, uh, well, the, so to speak, post SCAD network world, uh, what had to change in your approach uh, to your apps audience uh, with that situation? So um, with SCAN, to sort of work um, towards something that would work for us, we realized that we needed to start looking inward, um, learn how to be adaptable. And also after that situation with AppsWire, we realized that one of the biggest things that has helped us so far is building relationships and creating category advocates. And that's what we did with AppSire. We've been working a little bit with Google as well. Um, Cause newsflash, everyone's talking about the Google ad ID. We already lost it um, back in June. We already worked through it. And right now it's similar to SCAT where we're waiting for the privacy sandbox to actually move to something that um, yeah. is for the entire industry. So it's one of the big things for us creating um, building relationships with partners um, because kids apps 
is not the biggest. Um, I guess we don't have a lot of power in the industry and people are not building things for us. Um, you kind of want have to make friends with different people in the industry and sort of like convince them to want to work with you. Um, so that SDK that AppSlyer built for us, but also other solutions that they have built in order for us to be able to attribute and use SCAD and start using, um, you know, Facebook again and open up TikTok this year are all things that they have created like a side SDK that's fully compliant for kids apps. And a lot of that has been a co-creation between like Sego and AppSwire of we tell them what our problems are and now they are able to provide this solution for more and more people. I know that there's other partners that are doing that for uh, other MMPs that are doing that for other kids apps. But I think finding a friend in the industry that can help you out is is really important. And yeah, uh, ab absolutely. Especially guys like AppsFlyer. Uh, I have some people from the company on the show. We know them, Business of Apps know them for a while as the great uh, company that's one of the leading companies in the app analytics field. And uh, yeah, they, and in, in, in your case, uh, having them on your side as the, as the partner was a great thing for you to overcome those obstacles. Now, um, there's such a thing as marketing funnel, uh, everybody, like anybody who works in the marketing field understands that we work with this proverbial marketing funnel. It's not a real funnel you're using to, you know, put an oil in your, uh, <laughs> uh, somewhere, but, um, you reach out the wide audience of people who, um, only introduced to your product, then you gradually kind of narrow down the funnel to the limited number of people who actually become your clients, your loyal clients who become your subscribers for your app. So let's talk about the reworking the marketing funnel for your games, uh, for your for the apps you've been working with. Um, how did audience or thinking impact uh, your marketing funnel? Yeah, so for us, that was sort of like the second strategy. So first, we know that we have to have category advocates. But the second one was in absence of a lot of data points that we didn't have when SCAD appeared, we and without an NTT prompt, you realize that we only had purchase that we could track in the first 24 hours. And then we didn't have much else. Um, and we realized that a lot of people in the industry have kind of like outsourced um, their marketing efforts to an algorithm, be it the algorithm of Meta or Google. And we realized that if we are not going to have visibility of all of our marketing spend, we need to know where to spend this money and we need to know it by knowing our customers. So we conducted some customer interviews. We looked... Um, we took a closer look at our user base. But the thing with kids apps is that you have two people that you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to the kid and you're trying to get to the parent. And the parent is someone who's actually not playing in the app. So it's not like any traditional gaming app where you look at your user base and you know that the user that's most engaged is the one who 
did level one, two, three in the first 20 minutes and then, or bought this pack or this or that, it's it's not applicable. Sometimes you could have a parent of a four-year-old having a strict screen time of two times a week. So in your eyes, that could be a user that's not engaged, but then maybe they stay, they stay subscribed for a year, which means that they really like the product. It's just that the parent is gatekeeping um, that access to the app. So in that sense, not a lot of those data points are really useful for us when it comes to understanding our customers. And we decided to just not try and pretend to use algorithms and realize what our customers wanted. And we learned that for when it comes to parents, um, they really need to trust. And our current customer base of parents told us that what's most important to them is to feel like their kids are safe and that the product is actually beneficial for them. And I think there's a lot of you know shame that happens around parents uh, when it comes to screen time. Um, I could argue that sitting your kid in front of a TV, just passively consuming something as opposed to something that engages their brain is better. But those are things that I didn't know until we sat and we talked to parents, right? So understanding who they are, where they're spending their time, and also the process of they hear about a lot of apps or a lot of kit services for their kids, but they only go with the ones that they can actually trust. Um, so that was big for us. We realized that, okay, if we can't track all of our marketing dollars, we want to spend it on this new funnel of we're going to create a lot of awareness in parents and we're going to get them to trust us and then hopefully they're going to convert. Hopefully when one of those kids sees an ad in a game, a Barbie game, and they download it, when the parent sees what they're playing, they're going to understand that it's a brand that they had seen already. And so and it's... It's um, it's a leap of faith for sure because we're used yeah. to be able to track everything. But we said, you know, at that time, um, for SCAD because it works now, but back at that time, the Meta, yeah, it was Meta. Any self-attributing network wouldn't work without an ATT prompt because they needed that little piece of data to kind of model out the rest. So Meta for installs wouldn't work for us. And we still made a case of, you know, we need to be in Facebook and Instagram to, we need to be talking to these parents. We need to get them to trust us. We need to create landing pages, which we had never done before. And we need to give parents free printables so that they can print it, color with their kids and learn about a brand so that if they later find an ad, they're going to install it. So it was, I'm not gonna, we, we didn't put a lot of our money into that, but we put some some money on it and we just committed to let it run. And um, we had our designers create those printables that parents would print every week. They could also subscribe in our website and with their email so that they could get those printables. And then we would connect it to our CRM and sending them information about the product. It was just a more holistic, I guess, approach where we have our CRM team, we have our social team, but I hadn't, as, as a UA person, I had never worked with them so closely. And now it was, um, it was more so about like, help us talk to these new parents. And so 
we did that and what we saw is that actually it affected our LTV positively. If you look, we were looking at a chart with our cohorted LTV lifetime value of our subscribers. And we saw that right after we started spending that money on Facebook and Instagram, that according to the books was doing terribly, um, our LTV actually improved. And what that shows us is that it's not just about like bringing the customer and getting them to buy, but someone who has strong brand affinity is more likely to keep subscribing and paying every month. Because there's one thing as I pay once and then I don't pay for the next three months and then they churned. Yeah. Um, so when you invest earlier in that brand trust, even before you acquire the user, you can sort of ensure that they're going to stick around for longer once they make that decision to buy. And that's what we realized when we started seeing those LTV numbers go up, uh, which in turn affected our profitability. So that was that rethinking of the audiences and not being so married to that performance, purely performance marketing thing of letting the algorithm is telling me to go for certain users, but actually to step back and look at the type of product that you have, who are your customers, and and then going based on that a little bit more, yeah, holistic, it, it worked really well for us. Yeah, um, I think two things come to my mind when I'm listening to you. Number one is that we human beings, human brains are still uh, in charge. Algorithms cannot uh, be in charge of our actions uh, anywhere, including marketing. Uh, you still have to process the dynamics of interaction between your app and your audience. And number two, it really amazes me. Um, I didn't realize how complex it is when uh, UA marketers may complain uh, about how it's hard to um, find the right audience, engage the audience, but usually it always involves one person who's sitting in front of the phone or a tablet and that person usually like i don't know 20 20 something 30 something 40 something 50 something but not in the age of three or five way before he or she can make her own decisions and there's always this second person probably the third one the father mother both like like you you have all of a sudden you have uh, multiple people on the other end for every app install and you have to be able to balance this um, um, this interaction and see like what should be communicated to the parents, what should be communicated to the kid, what will be uh, like very clearly see the interactions uh, along the way of using your app uh, over time, uh, and it's like paramountly uh, important to for apps, subscription apps, because you need to, so to speak, win hearts uh, uh, of these people month after month after month. Otherwise, your business will just collapse. Uh, it's not going to be sustainable. You will be, uh, you know, really um, glad after the first months, uh, but then we realize people are just throwing away and everything is going south. Uh, so yeah, the, these dynamics of interaction for kids, uh, excuse me, apps that are developed for kids is really amazing for me. Now, you have to think about everything. And yeah. I think for us, 
that was, we started creating creative that was some creative that we do, some ads are for parents and they talk about the things that we know that they care about. And a lot of it is also for kids because when we're running on ad networks, we know that it might be a parent who's getting the ad if it's in a puzzle game, but it might be a kid who's getting the ad. And we run weekly playtesting sessions here in Toronto where we have our um, super fan parents bring their kids and they play and we learned about what they like. And I, when I was speaking about this in um, the App Promotion Summit in San Francisco, I was telling that we do try to add farts in our ads because it's like, it, it's part of our game. Kids love it. Right. It's like, it just comes with that understanding of both our customer, our main customer is the kids because if they're not engaged, the parent is not going to pay for it. But also then you have to bring the parent and tell them, no, this is this is actually good for your kid. And these are all the benefits and it's been proven. And we work with educators and all of this stuff. So it is it is quite complex for sure. Yeah, speak, speaking of uh, focus group testing, uh, it has always been suggesting that you have to test your app in front of the audience. But um, more or less, you can kind of guess that you're, you know, trying to guess the psyche of a person or more or less of your age. So you kind of know, you you kind of uh, have a chance to uh, assess, to estimate what will be interaction of that person with my app. But you have no idea what, what it feels like to use your app when your brain is three or five years old. So that interaction with kids in person was really awesome. Yeah, I can totally see what you're saying. Mm, let's talk about the results. Uh, what did you guys manage to achieve after you applied those solutions? Um, we saw that increase in the LTV. Um, we were able to decrease our cost per acquisition for 28%. Um, I think it, it's just all of the things that we did. Um, honestly, not just um the rethinking the audiences, but the new campaigns, the new creatives, um, new sets of expectations. Um, so it all resulted in us decreasing that CPA um, by quite a bit, accessing more channels as well, and increasing that LTV, which in turn allows you to be able to, um, when you have more LTV, you can pay more for that user in general. So we were being a little bit more bold sometimes with the bidding and um, strategies. So that's what we saw. Sure. Perhaps some takeaways from other folks who are kind of uh, in the same shoes as you are, guys. Um, like, uh, what would you like them to know after they finish listening this this episode? Like, takeaways of your experience. I think um understand your product really well um it's it would be that would be the first one and how users interact with it you have to map it um so from our end it was understanding that um how parents and kids interact with the app and 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 kind of like map that customer journey and then decide what KPIs you want to be tracking from that customer journey, and then where do you have to run your campaigns to fulfill that customer journey? Um, so it has to be, I think UA has to start becoming more 
a thing where you're thinking about your own product and then think about how to do UA for your own product instead of just doing what everyone does in launching a thousand campaigns in a thousand ad networks and without like aimlessly. So I think that um, be a first mover in that sense. When you're focused on your own product and you understand it, it's easier for you to find solutions when problems do arise um, and plan for the worst. I think for us, you know, this was such a big success um, story that we had about SCAD and then all over again, June last year, we lost the Google ad ID and, and here we go again. And, and we know that something else is going to happen. Like you can't be getting too comfortable with what you have. So I guess for us, um, the North Star is don't take it for granted and know that something might happen. Be a first mover um, and and have talent in your team that's willing to think differently. And I think sometimes um, that's the thing. People just want to have things stay status quo. So I think that that's where a lot of the pain in the industry is coming right now where people are, they just can't let go of certain events or certain ways of measuring things. And that's why, and when a SCAD happens, so let's figure out what the the adoption rate is going to be and how can I, you know, um, mask my ATT prompt so more people say yes so that I can keep my same data instead of just trying to, you know, go with the flow of the change and figure out how to make it work for you. Um, I think those are the biggest takeaways for me. Thank you. Got it. Now, um, I like to ask this question to every guest to who have been in the industry for a number of years. Um, cause there's just something that, uh, the, if you have been in the industry for a few years or more, you, there's something you have to, there's something you can tell, uh, say in reply, uh, looking at mobile ad tech today, what would you like to change about it the most aside of ATT introduction and sandbox from Google. I think more clarity sometimes as to more clarity and democratizing the information a little bit more. I think that a lot of the pain that has come with the changes is how cryptic sometimes big companies like Apple and Google um, can be. And then we're just like the, the rest of the world is just left scrambling around and trying to figure out a solution. So I think that simplification of procedures and, um, and yeah, I think it's just simplifying the procedures, the information when it comes to changing and democratizing that a little bit more. I think that's what I would like to see the most and an AI tool that helps us navigate those changes, that would be really nice to have. Right, I, I hear you. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. Okay, this is the first part of the show and we're switching to the second quick one. Whenever I have a guest who is first time on the show, I use this chance to ask a few quick questions. So we're not only covering the topic at the table, but letting our audience know a little bit better my guests uh here we go uh what smartphone do you have now uh have you been switching between these two camps or on one side all the time uh no i used to have android when i was living in colombia it's more common in south america and then when i moved to canada six years ago I had an iphone 
So that's what I have uh, right Yeah, gotcha. Now, uh, before the era of smartphone, do uh, you remember your um, first mobile phone you could put in your pocket? It was a Nokia. I can't remember the, but it was the big one that had where you can play Snake. I remember that Nokia. That was my first phone. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's that. Snakes should be somewhere in the museum as the first game on the mobile phone that people can still remember, no matter how many games are on the market right now. I think someone uh, recreate the recreate the snake game again for for iPhone. That was the first one of the first games, phone games that ever existed. Yeah. Um, now imagine you've left your home for whatever reason, you forgot your iPhone, it's uh, sitting on the table somewhere. You're out, what is the most missing feature for you at that point? Messaging, for sure. And and yeah, messaging for both personal and, and Slack, it would be, yeah. Yeah, got you. Okay. Um... Perhaps there's something missing in your phone right now, um, which it's not like you're uh, looking at the trendy things that people are talking about, uh, but uh, some feature hardware software that would make your uh, iPhone a better tool for you. Uh, it can be anything just to, to make it work for you better, like for your life. Better screen protection. I'm dropping my phone the time. Um, I think a phone that that sustains, um, yeah, me let it be like dropping it on the floor all the time, and I also lose my phone quite a bit. So something like find my iPhone, but something that lets you know when you're kind of like not around it anymore in in some kind of way. Yeah, yeah, this is like uh, when I got the AirTags from Apple. Uh... I thought that there would be alarming every, every, any moment I'm like away a few feet or a few meters away from that thing. I put the, that tag on, but it doesn't work this way. You have to be away like a hundred meters away from anything you attach the air tag on. And I don't feel it's quite what I was expecting for, uh, from, from the device. So yeah, I, I can totally see what you mean by the iPhone. It should alarm you like, Somebody stolen your phone, or you're just uh, you left it somewhere, and you're leaving, and should you should be a be aware of that thing immediately. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, very very final question: How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? I'm on LinkedIn, Luisa Zuleta. Um, you can message me over there. Great. This is great, Luisa. Thank you so much for spending time with us and being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was Luisa Zuleta, growth lead at Saga Mini and Tokapoka. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps. You will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.